think of putting a barrier back up that God has already torn down. Pastor Gary, who is with his family on vacation, he preached a couple of weeks ago about the three different friends and relating that, starting it off, he's talking about the temple and that you have the outer courts, you have the inner courts, and you have the holy of holies. And that's what this video was about. And I just realized while we were playing the video that we might want to use that at Easter. I don't know. But you might see it again in a couple weeks. Just don't tell Pastor <laughs> that I already used it. No, um, we've used that video before, of course, in the past. So it might not be unfamiliar to you. But this is the reality. I think most of us don't recognize the fact that we are not only born again in Christ, that we have salvation in Christ, but in the Holy Spirit. And this, is, this was the reality. When Jesus died, it says that the veil was ripped in two from top to bottom. And then we live our lives so many times, so often, trying not, maybe not trying, but living our lives in such a way that we're building this wall, this veil that separates us from God because of our silliness, our stupidity. And as we head into the Easter season, I did, I wanted to preach on having a partial understanding. Because we might know God, we might know who God is, we might even know him in salvation, but do we know him in power? We have a relationship with him. How many of you feel refreshed because you were gone this last week down to some sunny place? Anybody feeling good? No. I guess they're not back yet. I guess nobody's back yet, right? You're still out there wandering around, getting sunburnt. We got the sun here, though, don't we? We got the Michigan sun shining on us, and we have the sun of God revolutionizing our lives. And this is the reality. I think, that, I think that we go from really understanding who God is at salvation, but then it's easy to slip away. I was in third grade when I accepted Christ as my Savior. And I not only got saved, but I felt that year that I was also called to do something for God. In my mind, I was going to be an, a missionary to Australia. And the only reason was because our part-time youth leader at the time, he and his wife were finishing their school at a Bible college and they were going to Australia to serve as missionaries. But it's neat how God works because I didn't end up in Australia. In fact, um, I was probably about a year ago, I lifted up my phone because it was buzzing. And I looked, the phone number was really long and I realized it was out of the country, and it said, Australia. I said, they're calling me back. <laughs> but the reality is it wasn't about going to Australia. It wasn't about going to do what I thought I had to do. It was about just doing what I needed to do right where I was at and allowing God to work in me. Because if it was my choice, I wouldn't be the one up here even preaching to you. Because that would have freaked me out. 
16 years ago. But God sets us on a path. And that path, we're going to find out today, is a path of simple obedience. Simple obedience. And so I have this, this book about the believer's authority, the authority that we have. If you, if you know Pastor and if you know me, and you know that Pastor has told me countless times and every single time that he goes away and says, you're preaching, and he says, preach with authority. And that has been his thing in my life because old bashful me is too afraid to, you know, worrying about what you might think or, or, or that I might say the wrong thing or that I might not know how to answer something. Or, uh, and so there's so much fear and trembling, but, but God has given us authority. And I wanted to start with a couple of verses that aren't going to be the whole message today, but they are the authority that we have in Christ. And so look at Ephesians 1. It says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. This is Paul speaking to his people in Ephesus, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God, the Lord of our, Jesus, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his, his glorious inheritance and his holy people. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. I would dare say that we are missing the very power that God has given to us. He says the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is the power that we have in our lives. But we're not tapping into that power. Ephesians 3 continues by giving us this. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every, heaven, every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy People, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Too often, too many times are we tapping out when we should be tapping in. Too many times we're in the battle and we're in the thick of it and we want to just tap out to get ourselves, separate ourselves from the wickedness, separate ourselves from the destruction, separate ourselves from the way that people are coming against us. But the reality is, if you're walking with God, people are going to come against you. People aren't going to stand with you. You're going to be rejected. You're going to lose friends. You might even lose family. But God has a purpose for your life. A.W. Tozer says, God is not looking for people through whom he can do Sorry, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things that we can do by ourselves. We focus on what can I accomplish? What can I do in my own strength, in my own power? That's what I'm going to commit to doing because I know that I can complete that. But I'm not going to give in to the things that I don't know what the outcome might be. That would mean I have to trust someone other than me. But in Christ, he's asking us and he's calling us to do so much more. Have you ever run out of gas before? Doesn't that stink? 
probably one of the most embarrassing things in the world because there's a gas gauge, you know? Like, all you got to do is pay attention. But I had this 1979 Chevy pickup truck back in the day. I bought it because I was born in 1979, and I just thought, I need to have a truck that's as old as me. I thought that was cool. And I ran out of gas on the S-curve in Grand Rapids. <laughs> uh, so, but I wasn't one of the idiots, okay? I, my gas gauge stopped working, so that's my excuse. But of all things to, on the S-curve, but this is a funny story. In one of the New Year's Day, there was a tournament of the Roses Parade. There's the Rose Bowl, and then they have the Rose Bowl Parade. And there's a beautiful float that was coming down the way, and it sputtered down to a stop, and the engine shut down. It had run out of gas. So the whole parade was backed up until somebody could bring a gas can and fill up the tank and get the float moving again. But that's not even the funny part. The most amusing thing was that this float represented the Standard Oil Company. And they were advertising how vast of an oil resource that they have, and their truck was out of gas. So we're Christians. We know God. We have God in our life. But we're not resting in his power like we should. And it causes us to run out of gas, to get to a certain point to where we just stop or we run towards what is easy. We do have a partial understanding, but God is so good. Amen? Just say that out loud. God, you are so good. So good. But oftentimes, all of his goodness, all of his power is right there at our fingertips, but often we tap into just a fragment of his power. Pastor Gary, through the years, I've heard him say it, many times that we like to tuck the Holy Spirit down into our baby toe. Like, bravo, we believe in God. Yay, we, we love this, this guy Jesus because he saved us from our sin. But the Holy Spirit, part of the Godhead, we tuck the, because that's, that's the part that starts to get more personal in your life. Because it's the movement of the Holy Spirit in your life that starts to change you, that starts to say, hey, this might not be a good idea. And you're saying, well, I want to do that thing. So I want to tuck this little voice that the Holy Spirit is speaking to. I want to tuck it down into my baby toe. It's like we have a beautiful shape, beautifully shaped piece of pottery. Remember in high school, I made pottery in art class. And we would glaze it with a color or maybe clear glaze or whatever. And then we put it in the kiln and it would, it would dry like overnight or something. And then we'd come back and... I brought this thing home, and it, it didn't look very beautiful. It wasn't, like, all perfect, and it was, like, all deformed and messed up and weird. But, you know, it's still sitting on my mom's little thing at home, still to this day. <laughs> so it means something, right, to somebody. But this is the reality. We could take a piece of pottery, and we could say we, you know, say you just want a, a drink. And so you grab this, this, this cup, this coffee cup, because how many of you are coffee drinkers in the room? You like your coffee? How many of you did not get your coffee this morning? I can see it on your faces. So this is, this is the reality. What good is that cup if I just use partial cup? If I just break off the handle? 
What good is that handle in my hand if the cup's not attached? That's a really simple and almost stupid illustration, but that's how ridiculous we are with the power of God. That the Holy Spirit resides within me, but I'm only using a part of what he's given to me. It's true that a little bit of God is better than a whole lot of man because at our best, we are still human. We could be the best that we can possibly be, but we're still human. And at his worst, God is still God. Theologically, there's no worse with God. It's just a figure of speech. So I can get across a point to you, and I want you to recognize, I want you to understand this. A little bit of God is great, but God wants to give you way more. He offers everything to you. And what are we doing? Holding on to just the handle of the cup. What are we doing sputtering out, running out of gas, when God has given us a resource that is endless in Christ through his Holy Spirit? And so I have to take a moment to actually have you recognize this because it doesn't matter if it's a spouse relationship or whether it's just like an acquaintance, somebody at work. It is true, and this applies, whether it's your spouse, even at their best, they're still human. Have you experienced that? In your marriage, your spouse is still human. They're not perfect. Whether it's a best friend in your life, you have to recognize that at their best, they're still human. And what I really want to get across to you is for you to understand that even as your pastors, at our best, we are still human. And you know what is wrong with the church? Is that we always elevate people above God. And so when that person lets us down, and I promise you that you will be let down, when that person lets us down, then it separates us from God. I want to just take this a little bit further so that it relates to us in a personal way, specifically to those of you that have kids or that love kids. Um, I have a little stagehand that helps me after service on Sunday. That You see all these lights? I mean, there's a lot of lights up here. My daughter, Emma, she's 12 years old, and she comes up every single week, and she turns off all these little monitor speakers for me, and she turns off all these lights. She takes care of all those little details so that I don't have to run around and worry about those things. How, how sweet is that? And so then that happened last week. Some, something weird actually happened last week. So she did that, but I came in Monday before men's Bible study to turn on the lights. And I want you to recognize that there's two power strips up here. One power strip on this side. and one. So click, click, lights are on, done. Really simple, right? So I come in here on Monday, Monday night right before Bible study. Click, click, no lights are on. So I check, yeah, they're on. They're plugged in. Everything's plugged into the power strip. Why are no lights on? Are you looking at the stage right now? I had to go from that light to 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 that every single light had to be turned on individually and i don't know what on earth was going on do you know how frustrated you get in those kind of moments and i got to the point i got to the point that in the back of my mind while i was turning on lights i was like emma don't ever step foot on the stage again that's how you feel but you know how devastating that would be for a father to tell their child who is just lovingly trying to serve you see how quickly that frustration can turn into something that destroys? 
that divides, that a quarrel could rise up and hurt and devastate a relationship. And for what? Because it took me 47 seconds longer to turn on these lights. But do you see how we tear down out of just rash, rash decisions because we're not willing to humble ourselves? Imagine if we would learn to actually keep our mouth shut when we need to. Like there's an element in my life I need to learn how to open my mouth and say what I need to say. But there's an element when you get frustrated that you just need to learn to keep your mouth shut. And this is oftentimes how it goes. We destroy rather than build up. We have a partial understanding of the power of God because we have a selfish perspective in life. We are not living for God, we're living for self. And so our lives are consumed with our own agenda and so we cut and we divide and we destroy sometimes your own family. But we are not called to cut and divide and destroy, we're called to build each other up. Not only are we called to it, but we're also empowered to do it. God gives us the power to do what he's called us to do. There's no question that the, one of the greatest quests of, of man is to figure out what am I on this planet for? Why do I exist? What is my purpose? And I can tell you this without question, you are not called to tear down. You are called and you are empowered to do even greater things than Jesus did. Greater things. Our job is not even to tear down the devil. Do you know that? It's not. That will happen naturally if I'm just focused on my relationship with God. If I'm just fighting the whole time with the enemy all the time, if I'm just looking him in the eye and fighting him all the time, then I'm just, he's doing his job. He's distracted me from the direction I'm supposed to be going. But if I'm focused on God, the enemy is going to be already defeated because he's already been defeated. He's already been crushed under the foot of Jesus and the cross of Christ. Yesterday I was at, Ian and I stopped at a, a thrift store and uh, I bought a cassette. You know what a cassette is? <laughs> we have, we have a, an older car that has a cassette player in it. It's got a CD player too. I was like, hey, look at these cassettes over here. If I find something I like, I'm gonna get it because we have a cassette player. I can listen to it on the way home. They're only 25 cents. So I found Rich Mullins. You know Rich Mullins? And I was really, I was really shocked. Um, and, I, and I realized something because one of his songs, you, know, you might recognize it, says, what I believe is what I believe. What I believe is what I believe, and not just that, but it's what it makes me, sorry, it, it, it makes me who I am today. What I believe is what I believe, and that's what makes me who I am today. All right, so I want you to, I want you to recognize this, because I thought this was really a valid point that God like, spoke to me in even listening to his music. And I, and I had to look up that song again to really understand what is he saying? What, what do these words mean? Do you know why we're floundering in our purpose in life? It's because we're floundering in what we believe. And this is, this is the bottom 
line. That, that song is, is called his, his creed. This is what I believe. And what I believe is what I believe. And when I stand on what I believe, that is what's going to shape me into who I am. So if I don't know what I believe, or if I just go with the wind of every teaching that comes my way, then I will never have a purpose in my life. How many of us are floundering through life? I challenge you to dig into the word of God. I, I dare you to actually take a stand on what you believe, even if you don't know how to defend it. You just say, you know, Jesus gave me new life, and there is no other way that I could have found it because I have pursued, I have pursued it in all different ways, and I didn't find it anywhere else. Have you found it anywhere else? Because I think we have a lot of stories and a lot of testimonies of a lot of searching and seeking and trying to find, but we've all fallen short. Deuteronomy chapter 30, I wanted to read for you today because it helps us understand that God and God's power is attainable. God and his, God and his power, his incredible power, it is attainable. It is for us. It is ours. You can both have a relationship with God and you can have the power of God in your life. Verse 11 starts by saying this. Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven that you have to ask who's going to ascend to heaven to get it and to proclaim it so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to go ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it so that we may obey it. No, he says, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. It is right here. The truth is as far away as your mouth is from you. Sometimes you just need to speak it. Sometimes we just, you know the Toby Mac song, speak life. That's what we need is to speak life. And I have this little card up here because it's so, so powerful. Who am I in Christ? This little card, we had some of these in the back. Maybe we still have some more. If you don't have one, we'll print some more because this is one of the most powerful things you can do is fix your eyes on the word of God that tells you this is who I am in Christ. Because this is the reality. That question, who am I in Christ? To speak life, I have to personally, with my mouth, change the phrase from a question to a statement for my life. It's not who am I in Christ, it's this is who I am in Christ. It needs to go from a question to a statement. And I'll just take this little card for just two seconds here. It says, I am complete in him, Colossians 2. That's all we even need to know. I am complete. No longer do I need to search anywhere else. I'm complete in Christ. No longer do I need to find my completeness in anything else, I am complete in Christ. It goes on to say, I'm alive with Christ. I am free. I am far from oppression. I am born of God. The evil one does not touch me. I flipped it over to the back side, and the first one that came to my, to my eyes was this one, Revelation 12, 11. We've memorized it together. We've overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of of our testimony. Oh, the blood that changes us. And then, oh my goodness, we have the word of our testimony that speaks volumes to the people 
around you. Jesus, the lamb, said it before his death on the cross in John 19.30. He said, it is finished. We're getting into the Easter season. I'm, I'm getting into an Easter message here. But this is the reality. It's not just for Easter season. It is for every single day of our lives. We need to recognize it is finished. What is it that's finished? Jesus had finished his father's work. This is what's so amazing to me. In reality, it wasn't all done yet. But Jesus had such a trust in God because the power doesn't come because he died. Yes, he died and he took all of our sins with us. But the victory we have is that three days later he rose from the dead, conquered death. That is the power. And so Jesus is still alive, but he's saying it's finished. Because he has every reason to believe and to trust that God is going to raise him in three days from then. And how many of us don't have that kind of faith? To believe that God is who he says he is. What needs to be finished in your life? First John 2, it says, we have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus. He is the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the entire world. It's wonderful to be a, a church-going Christian and to believe in the Bible, but we don't talk much or teach much about the fullness of God's grace, the fullness of God's grace, because we like to condemn others instead. You know, we like to condemn ourselves instead because, oh, I've screwed up too much. I've made too many mistakes. I can't. Tell me this. When Jesus died on the cross, how many of your sins were future? Not a trick question. It's just really easy to answer. All of your sin, because when Jesus died on the cross, you were future, and I was future. And so why is it then that I allow this sin in my life to keep me back? Why is it that I look at this person and I condemn them because of their sin when Jesus died when all of our sins were future? No more condemnation. Psalm 103, I shared a little bit this morning with the praise band. In the verse 10 it says, he, God, has not dealt with us according to our sins. Amen. Nor has he rewarded us according to our iniquities. Another word for sin. In light of all that, Deuteronomy continues, and it asks a very important question, an easy question, again, to answer. But isn't it amazing that even the easiest of questions sometimes are the most difficult to answer or to answer correctly? Because our desires and our wills outweigh the truth sometimes. And this is the reality. Um, Deuteronomy, I'll get to it here in a second, but it says, and I'll just ask you this. Do you want life or do you want death? Which one do you want? Pretty easy to answer that, right? Do you want prosperity or do you want destruction? Not too hard to answer those questions. But I, but I approach this often like a 50-50 decision in your life. You know, like you have this, I've gotten to this point in my life before, and I, I don't remember, did I go this way? Or did, There's only two options in front of me. Did I take this path or this path? Why is it, and maybe this is just me, 
Why is it that when I get to a 50-50 decision, just in the small things in life, that a 50-50 decision I get wrong like 90% of the time? Have you experienced that before? Or is that just me? Maybe there's just something wrong with me. But it's, it's 50-50, right? That means 50% I could have got it right, 50% I could. But 90% of the time I get it wrong. Like what's wrong with me? It's part of the human nature. This is what he says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him. That's tough. And to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you're not obedient... And if you are drawn away to bow down to some other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven, I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life. You have a choice, but he's saying this is going to be the better choice. So choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers. What it comes down to, what it comes down to, the bottom line is that it comes to voices and choices all the time. You know, and it's not just a youth group message. That don't hang out with the wrong people. It's, it's, a, it's a message for every single one of us because we so often get involved in the wrong people and listen to the wrong voices. And this is the reality. The voices that you listen to will determine the choices that you make. And sometimes it's the own, my own voice in my head saying, no, 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 you can't do that. That, that might hurt you or that might you know, disappoint you. You might get, why do we listen to the wrong voices? Those are the things that keep us back from the power of God. God has extended all of his power and he's given it all to us in Christ, through Christ, in the Holy Spirit. But we're not tapping into that resource. And a, place, a great place to start to um, combat the devil is 2 Corinthians 10. We've also memorized this verse as a church. or you know, I've done it on mission trips before. Men's Retreats before, men's Bible study. The weapons we fight with. You know this verse? The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You have a divine power within you. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now I'm going to get to verse 6 in a few moments here. But I want to stick with what we have already learned because we've already heard this verse maybe maybe. So many times, but you can't hear it too many times. Verse 4 says that we have a power to, to demolish strongholds. But verse 5 talks about demolishing again. But it says not strongholds that need to be demolished. Rather arguments that come against the truth. Pretensions or pretend things that come against the truth. It is in the thoughts, it is in the mind that we must demolish those things. The things that... The devil is always trying to fool you into thinking, no, you can't take a step forward. No, you can't possibly do this with your life. But God is telling you otherwise. You're just listening to the wrong voices. Strongholds don't need to be demolished. Our thoughts do. The problem is not in the habit. The problem is in the mind. Just think about a bad habit that you've got in your life. Think of an addiction that you've had or have in your life. 
problem is not the habit. The problem is in the mind. The habit is a product of the thinking of the mind. The only thing keeping you in your stronghold is your thinking about it. Just imagine. Try, try to overcome a stronghold by putting your thoughts on it. What's going to happen? It's not going to be good for you. It's like you get into this mode of, you know, the weather's nice. I need to start working out. I need to get into better shape. And so I'm not going to eat any more sweets. That stinks. And then you get home and there's a big, beautiful, incredible chocolate cake sitting on the counter. And you look at that cake and you say, I'm not going to eat that cake. I'm not going to eat that cake. And you come back to it and you're, I'm not going to eat that cake. What's going to happen? You're not just going to eat a piece of cake. You're going to eat the cake. <laughs> We're putting our mind on the wrong things. In the church, in the church, this is really sad, you know. We put our mind on the wrong things. I grew up in a, in a Bible teaching church, but I played the bass guitar. I started playing bass in church. And that was, that was terrible. I had a guy in the church that would come to me, put his finger in my face and say, you need to turn down that bass. That bass doesn't belong in the church. But in the church, we have a sin problem. But not like what you think. Right? Sin is a problem. There's no question about it. And sin, sin brings weakness. But the sin itself isn't actually the problem. The problem in the church is that we can't talk about sin. Like, I can't be honest about my struggles, and you can't be honest about your struggles. We can't just be honest about these are the things that I'm struggling with. These are the things that I'm battling. If we had everybody march up here and tell their deepest, darkest secrets, we would think less of them. And that's the problem. That's the sin problem that we have. We can't overcome our sin because there's too much judgment. There's got to be a change. So many Christians will get up in arms and point out people, oh, that sin and that sin and, and this sin. And let me just ask you this. I want you to think about this because this puts it into a better perspective. Who is causing more damage? The sinner or the sinner that's of you are sinners? And sin, yes, definitely invades the camp, and, and you should try to do everything you can to overcome those things in your life. But the best way to do that is to be able to have people that you can talk to, but you can't talk to anybody because you feel like you're going to be hated. You know what a POW is? As a prisoner of war, the enemy now has control over your entire life. You know, if you're overseas and you're stuck somewhere, they have control over your whole life, whether you're going to eat or not where you're going to stay, how, you know, what clothes you're going to wear and how cold or hot you're going to be. They have control over anything and everything in your life. There are many Christians who are POWs, prisoners of a spiritual war, and we're stuck. The enemy has you under his control. And I don't want you just to think about addiction in your life as addiction. I, I don't even like the word addiction because when you're talking to church folk, they think, well, addictions are the big, bad, horrible sins. But we don't think about gossip as being an addiction. But it is. And it divides the church more than a lot of other sins. You know, and that there's, there's no levels to sin. Sin is sin. And we need to get rid of it all. But I want you to think about this addiction as being a fortress. 
And a fortress is a pattern of thinking. It's the way that you think in your brain. People will say, I can't stop. I can't, you know, quit doing what I'm doing. I can't change. I've tried and tried and tried, but I just can't change. The reality is you can't change the habit until you change the mind. You have to change your own thinking about it. I was getting back to our verse and talking about this fortress thing. 2 Corinthians 10. I, I changed it just to the, it's a different version of the Bible. It has one different word in it that I want you to get. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every high thing that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And I love what Tony Evans, he's a pastor, and he says this about high or lofty things. It's really, really incredible. Because a fortress or a stronghold or an addiction in our life are these high, lofty things but what is a lofty thing? He says a synonym for the word lofty is partition. How many of you grew up in a church that had partitions? You have this big room and two classes need to meet in there, so you pull the partition, right? A lofty thing is a partition that's been lifted up. If you're going to overcome, you must get rid of the partition in the mind, the enemy is doing everything he can. Think about why do you put up a partition when there are two classes meeting in the same room. It's because when you're teaching on one side, you're a distraction to the people that are trying to learn on the other side. And so you're trying to stop the communication from crossing over the barrier. So the enemy, the enemy sneaks in and he tries to put up a partition because he wants to block the voice of God in your life. So that he can have mastery in your life. So that you'll listen to only his voice. And so what we need to do is we need to take that partition down. And it is a choice of our own. The enemy can only have you when he gets you into his territory. And that takes a choice of your own. You can say no. Fortresses need to be destroyed, not just remodeled. Fortress is, it's not just, well, you know, I'm in this thing, and let me just try to make it look as good as it possibly can. No, it's, it's not a matter of making it look okay. It's a matter of actually destroying the thing that's in your life. One thing, the, the enemy will come at you with lies all the time, but one thing that will defeat the lies all the time is the truth. And that's why you take this little card right here, and let me just look at a couple other ones. The Spirit of God, who is greater than the enemy in the world, lives in me. Well, I didn't even have that one marked. I just picked it at random. But isn't God's word the most powerful thing? And this, this is the truth. If you just start speaking life into your own self through these verses, it will change your perspective about everything. Truth is not a partial thing. Truth is truth. In Joshua 6, Jericho's walls came tumbling down. Israel was too weak. They were too fearful in the beginning to even go into the land at all. And so that fear kept them back from what God really wanted and intended for them to do. And they get to Jericho, and they're like, this is why we were afraid before. Because these walls, these partitions are too high, too strong. How do we take down this fortress? God gives them a plan, and this plan is just walk around the city for six days. One time every day for six days. And you're all looking at each other like, huh? And then he says, on the seventh day, I want you to walk around the city seven times. 
And you're all thinking, this is absurd. Can you imagine being inside the fortress and looking down on these guys? That's our enemy out there. They're going to circle us. They're just going to walk around. Okay. Go ahead. Do whatever you want to do. But they didn't realize that they have God backing them up. And Joshua has a choice, as we have a choice. We have the voice of God, and we have the voice of all the critics. We have the voice of God, and we have the voice of the enemy to say, okay, am I going to follow through with this? God gives this message to Joshua, this is what you're to do. He then has to go to his people and say, this is what we're doing. And they all are thinking, you must be crazy. Who is this God that you would say that he this is no military strategy, this is ridiculous. But he believed, and he followed through. Imagine how stupid they looked. But the reality is when you actually tear down the partition, God starts to work in your life, the Holy Spirit resides in you, you are empowered to do incredible things, you're going to look ridiculous too. But that's exactly where God wants you to be. Is out of your element doing supernatural things. So we have the verse, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world, but we demolish arguments and every high thing that sets itself up. But we get to verse 6 and it says this. And we'll be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Why did the walls of Jericho fall down? Because out of obedience, Joshua went to the people and said, this is what we're doing. God said to do this. It sounds ridiculous, but we're doing it anyway. And your life is exactly the same way. Those strongholds are going to come down. The partition is going to be torn down. Your, the voice of God will start to penetrate your mind and your thinking and change the direction of your life because you will be complete in him. It's one of the most powerful things. I am complete in him who is ahead over all rule and authority. Every angelic and earthly power he has control over and has mastery over has already been victorious over all those wicked voices. Destruction does not happen in your life of your partition. The victory is not yours until you act out in obedience. The reason why the fortress still stands is because we're doing some of what God wants us to do. So... The partition is still there. The fortress is still there. The stronghold is still there. Because we're doing some of what God said to do, but not all of it. Not about doing one-third of it or one-half of it or one little bit of it. It's about completing it. And this is one of the most difficult things. Our biggest problem as people is that we don't stay long enough in obedience. How many of you have been praying for something that hasn't happened yet and you've been praying for years? Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Because God showed up with the Israelites and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. God showed up in power because they were obedient to see it through to completion. Our biggest problem is we don't stay long enough. It's the J-curve. In, in education, they talk about this J-curve on a graph. It would start here and it would actually go down. You actually get worse in school before you get better. They call it the J-curve. I will call it the Jesus curve. Because he throws at you eternal life. 
He gives you incredible power. And at first we're taking steps forward and we're scared to death. And because of that fear and because we're coming out of, you know, the world and all the different things that we, and all the habits and all the frustrations, we're actually worse. So have you ever said something to somebody trying to, like, share your faith with them and you totally messed it up and totally failed? That's the J curve. I, I, did, a, I did a horrible thing. I, did, I failed at it. But in the end, I'm going to get better just because I'm putting one foot in front of the other, moving forward, and God is going to empower me to be able to tear down walls. We have a partial understanding all the time. But I want you to understand that out of obedience comes incredible power. The obedience of one. The obedience of one. How many of you went to City Fest this last year? Remember City Fest? Luis Palau. We went to the Luis Palau movie. It came out this weekend. We went to a, a showing on Thursday night for it and saw it. And one of the most empower, like mind-boggling things to me, okay, first of all, I watched the movie already knowing that Louis Plow came many years, 1994 was the last time he was in Grand Rapids, and I was there. And I thought, this is really amazing, this is really cool. I was a freshman in high school, and uh, I thought this was really unique, because I, I have this book up here for a reason, um, I want you just to recognize the obedience of one person. That in one person's obedience to God, something incredible can happen. This is the reality. This book is written by a lady named Henrietta Mears. She was a Sunday school teacher that made great impact on a little boy named Billy Graham. Billy Graham, you'll see in the movie, if you watch Plow, the movie, that Billy Graham had influence on Louis Palau. And here I'm standing as a freshman in high school when I got this book when I was in high school, not even realizing that this is the lady that actually made such great impact on all these different preachers and evangelists all around the world. The, the obedience of one person has an effect on so many other things. Only because you're tapped into the power of God can you make impact. When you try to do it on your own, you're going to fall flat. The other thing that I really learned about the Plow movie was this. He wanted to be an evangelist, which was admirable. He wanted to spread the, the gospel to as many people as he possibly could. But he had the opportunity. He was poor, so he, he couldn't really go to school. So he had the opportunity to get free education, but he had to be you know, taken away from his family and going to, to the United States to get an education to become a church planter. Well, he didn't really want to be a church planter. He wanted to be an evangelist. He wanted to pull crusades together and preach to many people and see many lives changed. And so he spent years and years and years under this training, and he was frustrated all along the way. But what I see about him and what is portrayed in the movie is he actually stayed focused on what he was called to do at the time. And then the very organization that trained him to be a church planter said to him, I want you, Luis, to put a team together to become an evangelistic team that will go all over South America and then beyond to reach people with the gospel. God opened up the doors. God opened up the doors to tear down Jericho's walls. God has opened up the doors to tear down the partitions and the things in your life that need to change. The question is, are you going to allow? It's a decision. You have before you life, prosperity, or death and destruction. Which direction will we go? Obedience is power. Say that out loud. Obedience is power. I want you to recognize this. Obedience is power. I, I love what Lou Holt says. He says it this way. There are seven colors of the rainbow. 
Look what Michelangelo did with those seven colors. There are only 12 musical notes, but look at what Beethoven did with those 12 notes. There are only 10 numbers, zero through nine. But look at what Bernie Madoff did with those 10 numbers. Some of you didn't get that. Little is much when God is in it. Do you want God's power in your life? All you got to do is ask. All you got to do is fill yourself up with his word, and he will empower you. God, right now, I want to fix our eyes on you because you are the author and the finisher of our faith. You're the one that perfects in us what we are incapable of perfecting in ourselves. Oh, the blood of Jesus that washes away the sin. I pray that there will be a, a, a mighty movement of people of God in this room that would actually open up their Bibles every single day and just pursue it just a little bit more, just a little bit more until we start to see the power fall on our life and to change us. Thank you, God, that we are alive in Christ. Thank you that, God, we are complete in you, that we have everything we need right in our lives presently, right this moment today. Help us to tap into that source and to move, God, with your voice, not the enemy's voice. How many of you would just say, man, I need to tap into this power, and I'm going to take strides towards that this week? Just put up your hand and say, this is me. I'm, I'm taking a step forward this week. I don't even know what it looks like. I didn't know what it looked like to go to Australia, and I never went there. But God has a purpose in every single movement he has in your life. You can put your hands down, and I want it with your eyes closed still. Just anybody that says, I don't know Jesus personally. I want this power that you're talking about, but I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I am lost, and when I die, if I died today, I would not know where I would go. There were two people last week that accepted Christ, and it's one of the most incredible things that you can do with your life. Would you just put up your hand and say, I, just, I, I really need to talk to somebody. I really need some prayer because I don't know Jesus personally. If that's you, it is, it is important, something to take care of. God, go before us. Equip us. You've already given us every tool necessary. We just need to keep our eyes fixed on you. And we pray, God, for your mighty movement in our lives this week as we meditate on your word, as we focus on your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Tonight, everything is on as normal. Awana and youth group. No Awana? Oh, it's spring break. Never mind. Everything is not on. But youth group is on. College ministry is on. There's men's Bible study this week. There's women's Bible studies this week. So we'll see you there. Have a blessed day. So you can show-